Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. Join us on the journey as we discuss the choices for the Scottish public as we prepare for the referendum. We'll talk about what we do differently to Westminster already with the limited powers we do have and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry, and I'm also an MP at Westminster. On this episode, I'm talking with Deirdre Brock MP on the very different choices on climate change, action and ambition between Scotland and Westminster. Scotland was the first country in the world to declare a climate emergency, all the more important as a recent report published by Oxfam shows that climate change will result in an economic loss double that of COVID-19 in GDP terms, and that the world faces a displacement of more than one 1.2 billion people by 2050. This year, as the UN's COP26 is coming to Glasgow in November, and with the G7 promising further action on climate change, we ask, do they go far enough? And what would we do differently in Scotland if enabled by the powers we'd gain through independence? Australian-born Deirdre graduated with a BA in English before studying at the Western Australia Academy of Performing Arts. She's performed on stage and appeared in Aussie TV soap opera Home and Away. She's represented Edinburgh North and Leith since 2015 and is SNP spokesperson on environmental and rural affairs, as well as shadowing the UK government's COP26 president. Deirdre Scotland already has world-leading climate change actions in place along with the toughest targets. So what would be different if we weren't part of the UK under Westminster? Well, I mean, I I would have to say this, I I suppose, but I would think we can do so much better than the current, certainly the current Westminster government is doing. For example, we would have responsibility for energy. So we could make our own decisions, say, about continuing uh, to support nuclear, as the Westminster government does, uh, over green renewables, uh, and we could decide whether we think that's the best use of public money. Um, So uh, an example of that, I suppose, that's particularly pertinent, and it's one certainly our energy spokesperson, Alan Brown, I know is, is, uh, speaks of often, is the underinvestment from the UK government in marine energy, um, particularly, you know, wind wind and wave power. There's such huge potential for this to be a really, important source of reliable power for Scotland and and ultimately for an export market too, um, when we're independent, we're on the cusp of this being commercially viable. It's tantalizingly close. And yet the UK government continues to show very little interest or support for it uh, while it continues to back nuclear power. Now, I'm really confident that we, as Denmark did uh, decades ago with its forward thinking investments into wind power, Um, could become world leaders here with the tremendous skills and technologies we've developed, the the great advantages uh, around our coastlines. Um, But those skills and technologies that, uh, and and this whole um, development could help considerably with the just transition of jobs from oil and gas as we reduce our reliance on fossil fuel. I, I know you've I know you've raised a lot of these issues in Parliament about what you would like to see accelerated by Westminster and uh, mm. you know particularly some of the things that you view as the real you know kind of failings uh, that have happened there. I just want to play a wee clip of a response that you gave to a statement in Parliament 
um, about some of these issues to the uh, the, the COP uh, president, as it is called, uh, Alex Sharma. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, there's no joined up thinking on any issue with this government, but we would all have hoped for some cross-department thinking on this issue at least. We are, as usual, disappointed with even the Green Homes Grant gone after just a few months. So much for building back better. There's increasing concern voiced internationally, too, about the UK government's lack of progress domestically on environmental commitments. So will he show some real leadership then and commit today to start seriously lobbying his government colleagues to join up the dots and start delivering so we can look forward to environmentally sound investment, renewed support for a comprehensive charging framework for electric vehicles, real investment in hydrogen technology and marine energy, support for housing improvements and so on. Will he do that or is he happy to leave us all embarrassed to be hoping, uh, hosting COP26 while the UK seems to be striding off in the opposite direction? I just say to the, the Honourable Lady that the role of the, the COP presidency is to ensure that we are working uh, with all uh, 197 parties to ensure that we are making progress on keeping the 1.5 degrees uh, within reach. Uh, of course, the UK, like any other country, needs to see what more we can do. But I would just say I hope she will acknowledge that we are seen as a leader in the world. Uh, and indeed, uh, since 2000, as I said, we've decarbonised our economy faster than any other G20 nation. Well, Deirdre, we've just heard the uh, COP president there telling you that uh, the UK is a, a world leader. What, what are your thoughts on that answer that he gave to you? <clears throat> well, um, I think the president-designate is, is <laughs> doing his best, um, I suppose, uh, under circumstances that... Um, I, mean, I have to say I'm very disappointed in the UK government's um, response to COP26. I mean, the... the this Tory government likes to think it's world beating at everything, but well, there's a lot, there's, in, there's a lot around actions as opposed to promises, isn't there? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, look at look at the environment bill, for example. There was a commitment to that environment bill in the early days of the Cameron uh, Lib Dem government, and it's so it's taken nearly ten years to get that environment bill nearly at the point of passing in the House. So uh, it, it comes back for its third reading next week. Um, and, and any, you know, regardless of the amount of time they've had to work on it, um, many environmental groups see its commitments as lacking substance and, and uh, its aims as being really woolly. The hosting of COP26 is a huge responsibility for any country. I mean, look how hard France worked to achieve what was a very successful Paris COP. Um, and that surely, to my mind, means that, firstly, they should be out there working the diplomatic resources that they have as hard as they possibly can. And I'm not seeing that from the president-designate. But it also surely means that the country should be mindful of encouraging others to sign up to commitments, but then not going close to setting an example itself. So the UK government appeared content with the opening of a, a new coal mine until there were national Indeed. and mm. international outcries mm. um a, a new coal mine in the uk uh, uh they seem to have backed down on that for the moment but frankly it wouldn't surprise me at all if it suddenly appears as an option after cops been and gone you touched on uh, green then, you touched on green what? homes as well you touched on green homes as well i was and, just going to yeah, mention yeah. that that is their one really big flagship program that is the one thing they could have pointed to and said this is a tremendous development for the uk had a serious budget line of two billion pounds 
Uh, it was supposed to be retrofitting insulation and housing and replacing fossil uh, fuel-reliant gas boilers with heat pumps and so on. And that collapsed earlier this year with less than 10% of the vouchers um, for uh, householders issued. And, and it was exposed to simply having nothing like the sort of infrastructure and um, the, the sorts of uh, companies available to be actually able to implement that insulation and, and heat pump inst installation. So uh, we still got no real understanding of when that might be returning to us. Maybe they'll make an announcement just before um, uh, the beginning of November, which is when COP is. Um, but it remains to be seen. So that's, uh, you know, all that's left is sort of 500 million um, to be divvied up between, I suppose, existing uh, commitments. And that's 1.5 billion that's just gone. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll see if it comes back. But generally speaking, I would say um, they're, what they're doing around COP is, is pretty lackluster. Um, and it doesn't entirely surprise me that a Tory government is not wholly committed um, to making the, the best possible fist of, uh, uh, of an attempt to um, impress the rest of the world Indeed. with their green credentials. And I think when you look at some of the actions over the past few years, you know, really holding back onshore wind, you know, decimating uh, the solar industry for a long period of time, um, mm. making, as you referred to, making a commitment to nuclear when there's, you know, been a real need to invest in a rushed electricity and and to renewable, uh, you know, sources for that and, and not doing it. Yeah. But it doesn't paint a particularly good picture for uh, for the UK uh, hosting this. No. But it is going no, to be... No, it attracts lots of criticism. Yeah. Lord Deben, from the, yeah. uh, who's the chair of the Committee for Climate Change, who, by the way... Frequently, in my hearing, compliments the Scottish government for um, the, the the approach that they take to this very serious issue. And as we know, one of the first countries in the world to declare a climate emergency. But Lord Deben is is increasingly, actually, as the months go by, hostile and critical of the UK government and its approach to a whole variety of things. Green Homes Grant, the fact that um, its planning still doesn't encompass a sort of a, a zero emissions approach, which was... Um, mm. which was a commitment that was in place, which the government removed. I can't remember, it might have been under May, uh, removed and, and hadn't since replaced. Uh, and he's very annoyed about the fact yeah. that um, housing can be, basically housing is being constructed now that, um, that is in no way uh, compatible with the government's commitments to um, zero emissions. Indeed, they've, so, they've pushed out. They've pushed out the compliance, haven't they? You know, so actually, house builders are actually building houses now, and they'll build houses in the next coming years that won't have the the standards that are needed to tackle climate exactly. change. Exactly, yeah. it's outrageous. I mean, yeah. and, you know, this is obviously in England, and and we yeah. have a, a different approach, and we've got well, well let's talk um, about housing let, bill approaching, yeah. which will strengthen our planning even further. Well, but, well let's talk mm -hmm. about that different approach um, in Scotland, because um, obviously the Scottish government don't have the the big power. Uh, over energy and climate change that are held at Westminster. But they have had environmental powers. They have had been able to use some of the powers that we do have uh, to do things. What do you think are the Scottish government's biggest successes or, or greatest actions in terms of taking this issue forward? Oh, look, I mean, 
I have to say, I mean, I, I, I do get a little bit concerned about sort of folk banging on about, you know, us being world leading in legislation and targets. We are pretty good in Scotland, um, but obviously climate change is a global thing and we all have to work together on it. Um, I think I think in a way what Scotland is missing most is um, in not having our own voice to take part in the discussions around the world uh, about what needs done. So, you know, we won't have a place at the discussions um, in uh, November at COP26. It will be... Um, yeah, that's the spite. That, that, that's the spite yeah. declaring a climate emergency ahead of anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and, I know. And, and despite you know, then, we were the first person. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, carry on. No, no. First, uh, first uh, country in the UK to declare a climate emergency. Um, we've got the some of the most ambitious legislative emissions reductions targets in the world. We've uh, halved our greenhouse gas emissions since 1990. Um, apparently, we're uh, second only to Sweden in terms of our emissions reductions there. We're enormous. We are actually world renowned. We are world renowned for having underpinned our net zero targets with a legislative commitment. It's not the same as having a woolly aim. This is actually something that has been underpinned by legislation. It's a really important development. Um, and, you know, we have uh, got a legislative commitment to a just transition, which mm -hmm. was, again, yeah. you know, a world-leading a world-leading um, uh, world um, development. And, you know, our aim is to ensure that no one is left behind. We've seen in the last manifesto for the SNP before this 2021 election, you know, further emit, uh, commitments of, of extra money to go into that transition fund, because that is so important mm -hmm. for, yeah. for us in Scotland particularly. And all this is, um, in, and all this is in the background of working in a, a fixed budget that we have. You know, we can't we can't borrow. We don't have the borrowing power, so we have to work within a fixed budget. You were talking about green homes and insulation earlier, and I think we've got a record of uh, insulating four times as many um, homes as uh, as England. Um, well, even when you look at nature-based solutions to um, global warming and the amount of forestry. Mm. Um, the amount of tree planting that we've put in. I mean, frankly, it puts 85% of the UK's tree planting. Yeah. yeah. So all these are yeah. actions, all these are actions taken, you know, with very, very limited powers, you know, from it. Yeah. And, and I think, but, I mean, the thing that for yeah. me, the really, a really key thing is, is control of energy policy, because, you know, we could choose not to invest in nuclear. We could choose to invest in fantastic technologies like uh, wave and wind and further invest in nature-based uh, solutions because uh, I'm a big fan of those. I think sometimes we overlook those mm -hmm. in favour of, you know, zhuzhi kind of newer technology yeah. like um, direct air carbon capture, which is still in its early days of development, which seems to capture a lot of attention from... Um, politicians and journalists i mean i know dominic cummings was a big fan of that and, and was lobbying hard to try and get a lot of extra investment into it but you know there are nature-based solutions peat bog restoration tree planting working with our farmers to um make their uh, you know make agricultural activities um far more carbon retentive i mean there are many options other than just throwing 
not to say that we shouldn't be looking at it, but but through money, I nuclear, think, and you know, uh, and other technologies, yeah. and of course, yeah, if, if we if we yeah. had the powers in Scotland, we could make a menu of choices. So we could do some on, you know, Indeed. we could we could pursue carbon capture, we could pursue these nature based solutions, and we could choose yeah. what is right for the the, the mix that we have. Deirdre, let yeah, me, and base it on the conditions of the country. You Indeed. know, our country. You know, look at hydro pump storage. You know, this is something that we've got enormous potential for in Scotland. Um, but, you know, again, there seems to be a blockage from uh, the UK government. I mean, obviously, carbon capture storage is is very much to the, the forefront again. Um, but now, you know, there were the two competitions from Westminster uh, trying to find a, 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 a proposal that, um, that has these sort of carbon capture storage technology competitions mm -hmm, yeah. and and it was it cost something like 140 million pounds each time um the st fergus plant uh, and that area were were looking like they were going to win and and then the whole thing got pulled That's and right, now yeah. <clears throat> now things have developed sufficiently down in uh in uh, uh, ports in england that we're operating in in real sort of competition with them mm -hmm. for the next announcement of funding, um, mm -hmm. whenever that. When we could be pressing ahead. When we could be pressing ahead with these things, dear Drew. What, yeah. Obviously, you're um, you, you're you're taking forward the 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 role of uh, being the the shadow to the president for COP twenty six. What do you what do you hope to emerge from COP twenty six on a on, on a wider scale from a, from a a perspective of that um, event itself. What do you hope will come out of it? Look, I think one really crucial thing is for the global south, better support for all of the people who will be bearing or are bearing the brunt of uh, the industrial development in countries like the in, in places countries like the US, um, in in you know, Canada, in the UK. Um, in Scotland, you know, I mean, these are countries that are having to suffer from the effects of really extreme climate change. And so I really want to, to see that they have a voice at that COP and that um, support for adaptation, um, uh, adaptation is, is what's described as, as, as helping those countries adapt to the changes mm -hmm. that they are seeing in their natural environment. Um, I think uh, more development around green finance, it's been quite an eye opener to me, actually, just about how important the part of uh, insurance companies, of pension companies, uh, just how important a part they play in continuing mm. to support, you know, businesses, industries with, with really dirty emissions um, or, you know, so it, it, that have a, a really striking effect of, on yeah, the, our environment. Yeah, there seems that there seems to be no consequence uh, for continuing to chase that kind of investment. It uh, is quite bizarre. Yeah, I mean, you know, just looking at a pensions uh, company, for example, or an insurance company. You know, some of the um, you know uh, development in tar sands, for example, that couldn't take place unless an insurance company was underwriting it. Mm. Now, that's another example of where we don't have the powers because regulation of insurance and pensions and banking and so on still lies with London, with, with Westminster. Um, that is another example of where we don't get an opportunity to be able to influence mm -hmm. these institutions to the degree that we might if we were independent. 
So I think um, moving that agenda along, I know Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, is is taking the lead for the UK government on that. And, you know, hopefully we'll see some announcements around that, which would be um, would be good. I've just actually come out of a meeting with um, Zero Carbon, which is an organisation uh, pushing yeah. for a global carbon tax arrangement, which I think is interesting. So developments there, I think, would be really would be really useful. Um, and again, I think just a more focus on nature-based solutions. We mustn't forget those. We tend to overlook that, and uh, you know, the whole angle, uh, the whole issue of biodiversity and the alarming uh, drop in, in in species across mm, the yeah. world. Um, you know, the sort of extinction of species is is something that I really need think we need to focus on. But equally, at the same time, I really want to see at COP the opportunities for Glasgow and for Scotland to shine. Our renewables industry is just champing at the bit to be able to show the world what and we can do. And our potential, yeah. Mm. Yeah, show mm. our potential there. Mm. So I really hope that the UK government, because when I raised this with Sharma, <clears throat> um, I, just the other day, actually, at a, at a committee meeting, all I get back is, oh, yes, well, all of the devolved administrations will be able to have their opportunity to, you know, get involved. Almost as if, you know, not not accepting or acknowledging the fact that we are really ahead of the game uh, in our response to um, the, the world's climate issues and that it's being hosted in Glasgow, in <laughs> in our own country, and yet um, it, it frankly feels as if we're just being put into a little box and mm -hmm. held over there and we're not, they are quite keen that yeah. we don't play a big part in there, certainly not one that reflects our world standing. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, Nicola is part of, uh, you know, she, she, I mean, she, she addressed uh, some business leaders, business industry leaders in, in March. Um, and one of the things she was mentioning was this under two coalition, which is mm -hmm. a group of over 220 governments. It represents over 1.3 billion people, 43% mm -hmm. of the global economy. Um, and, you know, the, the first minister is, is one of the leading figures within that movement. Um, so I'm hoping as a result of that connection that maybe, um, you know, that w we will get that opportunity to shine. Okay. Um, so I, I suppose the, the question that leads on from that, you know, that ability to, to shine for Scotland to stand out uh, begs the question, would, would an independent Scotland influence international attitudes towards climate change better, do you think? Yeah, I do, actually. I think um, I think we've already seen that, you know. I've, I've, I've read um, praise from other world leaders um, for our approach and for our first minister. I mean, she's clearly an incredibly impressive individual, but also just of her real commitment to net zero and facing up to those challenges. And, you know, they put this government puts their money where their mouth is, you know, they've put uh, just in the last uh, manifesto, they've committed 1.6 billion pounds mm. to decarbonize heating of our homes uh, and other buildings, they've committed to reduce the use of cars, and this is a big one by 20% by mm. 2030. Um, investing over 500 million pounds in our bus network, reducing most fossil fuel reliant buses from our network, extending free bus travel to yeah. everyone under 22 years old and so on. I mean, there are big commitments here. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, certainly the impression I have gained from, I mean, many meetings over you, the last you can't few imagine, months. You can't imagine the same credibility for, for example, Boris Johnson, could you? 
No. <laughs> In a nutshell. No, I, I think, can't. I think that's... And as I say, Lord Deben, who's the chair yeah. of the Committee for Climate Change, has been yeah. very complimentary uh, at several meetings I've been to now. Um, and, and not necessarily aware of the fact that there were Scottish politicians in the audience, um, but complimentary about the approach uh, that the Scottish government has taken. I mean, we're taking action. We're not just, this is not just a, warm, woolly words. Just for those people who don't know who Lord Deben is, this is a former Tory uh, minister, John mm. Selwyn Gummer, um, who was quite famous in the Thatcher era. Um, you know, um, so, so I mean, it, the, you know, the, the, that's praise indeed when it's coming from somebody who's so politically uh, uh, opposed uh, for it. Yeah. Uh, Deirdre, can I uh, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining me on this podcast? I think it's been really fascinating to hear the different choices um, yeah. that are being made. It's a fascinating topic, I have to say. Indeed. So, <laughs> so thanks once again for joining me. Oh, great. Thanks, Drew. Well, there we have it. We could choose our own energy future rather than wasting billions through Westminster on nuclear, take our own world-leading actions over climate change even further, accelerate the just transition from oil and gas, insulate even more homes, and build further on our ambitious green transport plans. Having the powers would allow us to reduce fuel poverty, improve communities, boost green industries and jobs, all whilst enhancing and underlining Scotland's international influence and Reputation. My thanks once again to Deirdre Brock. You can find out more about her work at dbrockmp.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. Thanks for listening, and don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.